how are we doing, Hope City Church? Doing good? Thank you, Bob, for sharing your story and just glad we get to be together today. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church and excited to be finishing our series today, Five Things That'll Keep Your Family Together. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But before we do, just quickly, I want to emphasize something that uh, they talked about at the beginning of service, and that is our Christmas services. We have four opportunities for you to be a part of Christmas services here at South Louisville, one in Shepherdsville. So it's five different chances that you can be a part of our Hope City Christmas. And in your seat when you came in was a card. This is an invite card. This isn't for you. This is for somebody that you want to invite to come with you, and we have more of these if you'd like that. Um, But just want you to go ahead and mark these down on your calendar and uh, put these dates down. And we're doing Friday night, the 21st at 7 Saturday the 22nd at 5, Sunday at 10 and 11.30 here at South Louisville, 10.30 at Shep. And these are all the same service, so, so if you come on Friday or Saturday, it's the same as Sunday morning. But the reason we're doing uh, so many services is because we want you to have an opportunity to bring somebody with you who needs to come, a family member, somebody you work with, a neighbor. And if they can't come on Sunday, maybe they could come on Saturday. If they can't come on Saturday, maybe they could come on Friday. But we want you to go ahead and mark down and talk as a family about when you're going to be coming, who you're going to be inviting, because we know that Christmas can get busy shopping and meetings and parties and visits and all sorts of good stuff. And so go ahead and just and decide when you're going to be a part of our Christmas service, and, and maybe you'd like to serve at one and attend one bring somebody with you. People are already thinking about Jesus and about God at Christmas time. It's just the perfect time. Easter and Christmas are just the perfect time to invite somebody to come with you to church. And so hopefully you can be a part of that. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be an amazing time. Well, like I said, we are uh, wrapping up, finishing up our series today, five things that will keep your family together. And what we've done these last five weeks is we have been talking about some of the challenges that we face, and we do face challenges, but also not just the challenges the, the answers that the Bible provides to us as parents and as spouses and grandparents and what we can do to not just keep our family together, that is important, we want to stay together, uh, and that's an accomplishment in itself, but, but to really flourish and thrive as a family. And there are lots of challenges out there each week, we've talked about those, somewhere between 40 and 50% of couples divorce, one in three kids live in a home without a dad. Average student loan debt is about 49000 per household. Seven million children take a form of antidepressant medication. Over 3,000 high school students attempt to take their life every day. I read uh, this past week that the average marriage, the length of the average marriage in this decade is seven years. And so all of these obstacles and all of these uh, challenges that we face, and whether it's statistically true or not, it feels as if it's never been harder to stay faithful, committed to your spouse. Never been harder to raise children who love Jesus and, and for your family to be together. And so our prayer has just been that throughout this series that God would give us some hope and maybe some hopeless situations, some turnaround and some situations that we didn't think maybe would ever, would ever turn around. So if you haven't been a part of these other weeks, maybe this is your first time here, I encourage you to download our app on whatever phone you have or find the podcast on iTunes, and listen to those because we've given you five things. I'm going to give them to you in just a second. And we believe all five are the ingredients that God uses to bake the cake, if you will, to, to really set our family up to, to really succeed. And so those five things are God is number one. We talked about God the first week, building our family on God, not just going to church together, but following Jesus together. 
who said the best way to keep your family together for the next 50 years is to keep your family together for the next 50,000 years, have an eternal view. And so that was week one. The second thing that'll keep your family together is forgiveness. We talked about how the people that we love the most have the potential to hurt us the most because we're the closest and the most vulnerable with them, but we have to choose forgiveness. It is our responsibility to forgive. That was the second thing. The third week was margin. We talked about how if we keep saying yes to things that are not most important, we will eventually have to say no to things that are. The fourth week, we talked about effort. That was last week and how that it takes work to make relationships work. And we want to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, Philippians tells us. And his mindset in relationships is, I love you so much, I'll give everything, even if you don't give it back. And so we want to have that mindset and the effort that we put forth in our relationships. And then this week, we're talking about communication. So God, forgiveness, margin, effort, and communication. God, forgiveness, margin, effort, and communication. Those five things, we believe, will, will set your family up for, uh, for real success. So... This week, as we talk about communication, one of, the weeks, one of the reasons we held this to the last week of the series is because we know that this week for Thanksgiving, you're going to have to have some meals with people you don't like, and you're going to have to communicate with them. And so maybe this will help you a little bit. This also runs the risk of maybe Thanksgiving dinner being very awkward by the time we get done today, but we'll talk about that a little bit. But really, more importantly and seriously, is we, we, I believe after God, because God is most important, building your family on God is most important, but after God... I believe this week has the potential to be the most helpful to you and the most important to you and where your family is at. Andrea and I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of couples who are about to get married. We don't really call it premarital counseling because we're not counselors. We call it premarital conversations. But we talk about um, marriage, and, and, and we spend almost all of our time talking about communication. It is, it is so important in our families and in our marriage and our parenting, we talk about communication. And the reason that we spend so much time talking about it is because on the other side of marriage, when I am talking to a family sitting on my couch or at dinner across the table and they're trying to put some pieces back together or keep it together, what is so often true is that whatever they think is the problem is not really the problem. The problem is that they're not communicating about the problem. Does that make sense to everybody? So they come to me or they go to somebody and they think they know what the problem is, but that's not really the problem. The problem is that they haven't been communicating about the problem. So whatever it is that brought them in, it was really something five years ago, 10 years ago, 17 years ago, six months ago, but whatever has happened now has pulled out or brought up things that were never, never communicated about. And so we have to communicate as a family. And so let, let me give you just a couple of examples. Maybe, maybe you find yourself in a few of these situations. Let me give you a couple of examples of, of, of times, some kind of a broad examples of times when not communicating really hurts our family. What about this one? You, you get married, you fall in love, you get married, and you had a thousand ideas about what marriage was going to be like. And I'm not, not trying to take it away from the guys here, because maybe, guys, you had a thousand ideas. But really, kind of, ladies, you spend a lot more time thinking about your marriage early on than the guys do, you know? We're like, okay, we're here. But anyway, the ladies, you think about it, you have a thousand ideas about what it's going to be like. But five or ten years later, it's not anything like you thought it would be. And so now you're, you're frustrated, you're disappointed, He's lethargic. 
Mostly he hangs out in the garage or the basement or the man cave. Mostly you hang out somewhere upstairs and there's no real spark or romance or excitement. It just feels like um, an obligation. No communication. What about this one? Maybe your kids are getting a little bit older and you need to have the talk, but who wants to have the talk? And so it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and you don't know what to do. And you remember when your parents tried and then that didn't work or whatever it was. And so maybe you naively convince yourself that like, I don't need to do that right now. They don't have any idea what that is. And so you don't communicate. And then someone else who doesn't love your children as much as you or pray for your children as much as you communicates to them instead of you. And we start having problems. Or maybe they get older and they start dating and you need to have some conversations, but you don't do it because it's awkward. Or maybe you feel guilty because of what you did in your relationships. And so you don't feel like you have any right to really say anything. And so you don't communicate. And then there are problems and trouble because someone didn't communicate. What about this? You, early on in your marriage, you have a run-in with the in-laws and there's some conflict, right? And, and so instead of working that out, you kind of withdraw, and, and, and now you tolerate them. You know, you get together a few times, and you're mad, and they know you're mad, and they're mad, and you know they're mad. But when you get together, nobody talks about it. Everybody kind of smiles. You sit on opposite ends of the table, and the only thing you have in common is your spouse, right? And, like, how many people, let me see a show of hands, how many people you grew up in a house where everybody knew that there was something that needed to be talked about, but nobody talked about it. Let me see your hand if you grew up in that house. Yeah, so many of us. Like, we all know what we need to talk about, but don't you bring it up. Don't you bring it up. We're not talking about it. And so now years go by, and there is what could have been a small thing. It becomes a big thing because we didn't communicate. Now, we're going to talk about communication today because things don't work themselves out. People work things out when you communicate. I'm going to say that again. Things don't work themselves out. People work things out when they communicate. Conflict doesn't just go away. Conflict has to be resolved. And this is so important because I believe, I honestly believe that for those of us in the room today, I honestly believe that we are one courageous conversation from God doing something miraculous in our families. I really believe that. One courageous conversation. And some of you, you know where we're going and your palms are getting sweaty and you're, you know, you're starting to break out on your neck. You're like, well, I, don't, I know where he's going. I don't like this. One courageous conversation from something miraculous happening in our, our families. Now, you may think that the Bible would be filled with amazing examples of families. Every time we get ready to do a family or relationship series, I always kind of say like, oh, well, let's go to the Bible and find some model families to look at as an example, to study. And when you open the Bible, ironically, what you find is there are almost no good examples of great families, that they are messed up and they've got issues and they're not really communicating either. And it, it, it kind of catches us off guard because you'd think the Bible would be filled with these Amazing families. Uh, a couple of examples. Jacob conned his dying father and stole from his brother, ran away in the middle of the night, didn't come back for 20 years. No communication. 20 years. Noah, everybody knows Noah. After the flood, Noah lays around drunk and naked. 
It's the truth. You can go read it. It's true. And one day his son Ham walks in, probably like you would if your dad was always drunk and naked, and he tries to cover him up, and we don't know exactly what happens there. And when Noah finds out about it, he puts a curse on his life, and the chapter ends. Like, we don't know what happened. Like, there's no resolution. There's no, like, hey, I didn't mean that, blessing. Like, nope, just cursed him. Even Jesus had, like, conflict with his brothers. His brothers showed up one day to to hang out where he was teaching. They were probably expecting backstage passes, like family passes. And they show up, and they're like, hey, let Jesus know we're here. And Jesus, you can go read the story. Jesus is like, I'm not letting them in. Like, even Jesus had some struggle and conflict with his brothers. And so we can't blame the struggle to keep our families together or to communicate on modern times, busy schedules, and technology. It's not a new struggle. Matter of fact, we have more communication tools at our disposal than ever before. If you want to communicate, you have more ways to communicate than ever before. You don't have to write a letter to your sister in another state and wait three weeks for it to get there. If you want to communicate, you can communicate. But the struggle that we have is the same struggle that Adam and Eve had. The very first family struggled with the very same thing that you struggle with. Honest conversation. Honest conversation. So today, we're going to read two parts of the Bible. We're going to read a story about a family in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you want to find that, or a phone, you can find that. And then the second part we're going to read in the New Testament, it's in the book of Ephesians, and that's going to be on your sermon guide. Hopefully, you got the sermon guide when you came in. I had one somewhere, but I think I lost it. But anyway, hopefully, you got one of those when, uh, when you came in. Now, in 2 Samuel, we're going to read about a family that is really messed up. But if they had Instagram back then, you would have never known it. Matter of fact, I would be willing to bet that their Christmas cards were on point, right? Because this is King David's family. Probably had a graphic designer on staff, a photographer, right? And, 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 and it, so it seems like that they're in a great, a great place. But where we pick up the story today, they're about to have major conflict. And I just want to give you a heads up where we're going with this story um, because it's, it's really bad um, in the story. It's really disgusting. But what, we're, gonna, what we're, we're talking about today is one of David's sons is going to sexually assault his sister. Just a heads up because that's where we're going. I know for some of you that's going to be a, a very emotional experience. But the backstory of all this drama and conflict is that in a way, not the main reason, but in a way it's happening because of some of David's sins. David had an affair, and and God forgave him and told him he was forgiven, and David knew he was forgiven. But God also said there are going to be some earthly consequences uh, in your family. There's going to be some division in your family, and your kingdom's kind of going to be torn apart. And so we start seeing this division in, in the family. And as great as David was, and he was great, he was a much better king than he was a dad. We don't actually see many encounters with his children, with his family. He had multiple kids with multiple women, which was different back then, but still kind of messed up the dynamic a little bit. And he was a phenomenal king. He was a pretty good dad. But we, we never see, as all of this drama and conflict begins to happen, we never see him bring the family together, try to work it out, right? And... and And this particular story that we're going to read will show us the the danger and the consequences. 
when we don't communicate. So we don't have time to read the whole story. Let me just sum it up for you. There's a brother named Absalom. There's a sister named Tamar and a half-brother named Amnon. Amnon was in love with Tamar, and one day he trapped her in his house and he raped her, okay? Which is a disgusting thing, but that's where we are. And we're going to pick up 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to read verses 18 through 22. Here's what it says. It says, so the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. Talking about Tamar. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hand, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now. Terrible advice. Since he's your brother, don't worry about it. That's terrible advice. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Verse 21. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And we're like, yeah, he was very angry. So David calls a family meeting to figure out what's going on. No, 22. And though Absalom never spoke, like, that's it. David was angry. That's all. That's it. That's all we hear about David the dad, right? And though David was, uh, he was very angry. And 22, and though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because he had what, it, what he had done to his sister. So, so look at that last verse. And though Absalom never spoke, never brought it up, never asked about it, never said how he felt about it, nope. He never brought it up, but he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done. Now, I could take some time right here to, to talk about how we don't need to do this, and I could talk about how it really doesn't end well when we uh, don't talk about the things that we're upset about with our family, and we could really walk through this, but I don't think I have to. I think you know really well what this feels like, because I believe this is where most of us live. If you and I were to spend some time together and I were to say, hey, tell me some things that have really upset you, that you're really angry about with some people in your family, you would not have to think very long about what you would say. But then if I were to say to you, well, what do they say when you bring it up? You'd go, oh, man, no, I don't bring it up, right? And that's where Absalom is at. Now, I'm going to read just a little bit more, verse 23. Two years later, two years of stewing on it, thinking about it, planning what he wants to do. Two years later, and then skip down to verse 28. Two years later, Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Kill him. Now, this is a very extreme example, both in what happened and how it was resolved. You're probably not planning murder for anybody in your family. And hopefully the conflict is not some type of sexual abuse, even though I recognize that that is a, a real thing. But the example of what we're reading here is where so many of us live. I hate you because of what you did, but I've never talked to you about it. What is happening in Absalom is what happens to us. Absalom is having a monologue, not a dialogue. This is where we live, right? I mean, I'm a monologue guy. If you and I have conflict, I, in my car driving by myself or in the shower, I, I have the greatest fights with you, and I say the greatest one-liners, 
and I clearly articulate all of my frustration, and you don't really say much, but you don't need to because you know you were wrong, and I was right, and, and we work through the whole thing, and there's resolution. That's a monologue, and that's where we live. We stew on it. We talk about it. Maybe we do have dialogues, but we don't talk to the person we need to talk to about it. We talk to somebody else about it, right? But, but things don't work themselves out. People work things out when they communicate. And so a, di- a monologue is never going to solve the problem. A monologue is going to make you more angry. A monologue is going to drive you deeper down into a hole. You have to have, you have to have a dialogue. And so what are our options? You're like, okay, Jason, I get it. I don't want to be Absalom. I get it. I don't want to have a monologue. I need to have a dialogue. Okay, I get it. You're convincing me. What do I do? I don't know how to do this, and my palms are sweaty, and my neck's breaking out just thinking about it, and I don't even know, like, now you want me to talk about it, and I don't, right? Well, in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, there is these beautiful verses that give unbelievable relationship advice, life advice, but really relationship advice for for where we are and our relationships and with our families. It's in chapter 4, and I want to read this to you. It's on your sermon guide. Hopefully, you got one of those when you came in, because we're about to use them for a second, but Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 21, here's what it says. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. So stop for a second. Paul is talking to every person in the room today who has learned the truth about Jesus. Now, some of you in here, you have not learned the truth about Jesus. You have not experienced Jesus, the love of Jesus. You have not committed your life to him. But there's a lot of us in the room that have. And so what we're about to read, Paul is writing to people who have learned the truth about Jesus. Let's see what he says. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 25. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. The Apostle Paul and Elton John both had something to say about this. Right? And, 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 so, and so Paul says to us, for those people who have learned the truth about Jesus, that there is a difference in the way that they manage relationships. People who have learned the truth about Jesus handle relationships differently than people who have not learned the truth about Jesus. And I think this is so important because I believe that families who have learned the truth about Jesus should sound and feel and look different. Not based on the clothes that they wear necessarily, but definitely in the way that they talk to each other. Definitely in the way that they communicate and resolve conflict. I believe that if you came over to my house because I have learned the truth about Jesus, my wife has learned the truth about Jesus. I believe if you came over to my house and you stayed past the like, we've cleaned it up and made it smell good for you, but you stayed longer than that, you spent a month with us or whatever, I believe that we could show you Jesus even in the way that we fight. I believe that if you are around, because if you spent 30 days, I can promise you, you're going to see some conflict. 
And so I believe even in the way that we have conflict, if I have learned the truth about Jesus, you should be with me and you should be like, okay, this is different. Like y'all fight different than the way that most people fight. This house feels different than the way most houses feel. You're smiling more here than, you're laughing more here than, you, you, you get along in a different way. Like there, this house feels differently. I believe that for those who have learned the truth about Jesus, that should be the way that I should be able to come to your house, see how you handle conflict and know whether or not you've learned the truth about Jesus, according to what the apostle Paul says. And then he tells us. So let me just kind of summarize for you. Ephesians chapter 4, 21 through 27, according to Paul, that there's an old before Jesus way to handle relationships and a new after Jesus way. And then he lays them out for us. Let me give them to you. Before Jesus relationships are corrupted by deception, okay? After Jesus relationships, deal with truth. Before Jesus relationships are filled with bad attitudes. That's what Paul said. After Jesus relationships, our spirit renews, the spirit, the Holy Spirit renews our thoughts and our attitudes. Before Jesus relationships, Anger controls you. After Jesus' relationships, you control anger, right? So at the risk of sounding too simple, and this is going to sound too simple, but if you were to like filter this down to its very core, Ephesians 4, 21 through 27, the Apostle Paul is saying that families built on Jesus tell the truth, have good attitudes, and don't live with anger. Families built on Jesus tell the truth, have good attitudes, and don't live with anger. So this is a great opportunity to stop for a moment and be challenged. When it comes to my relationship with my spouse, my kids or my parents, do I tell the truth, have a good attitude, or live with anger? My relationship with my spouse and my marriage relationship, my relationship with my kids, maybe they're not old enough to be able to articulate it yet, but would my kids be able to say in the way that we have a relationship that my father has learned the truth about Jesus because he deals with me in truth, a good attitude, and doesn't let anger control him. Such a simple idea, but not so simple to pull off, right? Live and deal with truth. Great attitudes, not controlled by anger. I would love for a moment just to stop and for everybody in the room to imagine what your home would feel like what the car would feel like when everyone's in it together. I would love for us to just a moment, maybe close our eyes and to feel the emotion that we would feel if we were a part of a family and lived in a home and spent time with a group of people who only dealt in truth, who had great attitudes and weren't controlled by anger. And the Apostle Paul says that not only is that possible, 
but is the standard for those of us who have learned the truth in Jesus. So what do we do? How do we do that? How do we deal with truth, have great attitude, not be controlled by anger? I believe that there are three main ways that we need to communicate with our families, communicate with our spouse, communicate with our kids, communicate with our in-laws, communicate with our grandparents, whatever it is. There are three ways, main ways, that we need to communicate with our family. And these are on your sermon guide if you want to write these down. Number one, I believe we have to communicate expectation. We have to communicate expectation. You know, dealing with truth doesn't always mean saying something that's true. Dealing with truth can also be that, or deception could also be that we're not saying things that are true, right? So it's not that every time you open your mouth, you're lying, but sometimes it's not saying anything, even though truth needs to be spoken. And this is really at the heart of communicating expectation. It is not fair for me to expect someone in my family to know what I want if I never say what I want, to know what to do if I never say what I would like for them to do, to know how I feel if I never tell them how I am feeling. Every expectation is not a reasonable expectation. Let's go ahead and get that out there. And the key to a great relationship is to put the needs of others first. So let's go ahead and add that to the list as well. But there are some things that are subconsciously in you and they cause tension in your family because you've never explained it to your family. This happened yesterday at the Isaac's house. So I'm just going to use this as some therapy time for me. Um, so it happens like this every now and then. But we... Um, the, Andrea's schedule was kind of crazy this week, and so for the last like two and a half, three days, the, the main responsibility of the, of the caregiving for the children has been on me and pretty much being at the house with them, and you can just need to know, like, if it's extended hours at home with just me and the kids, there's going to be conflict. You just got to know that's going to happen. Shout out to all the stay-at-home parents. I don't know how you do it, but you do it. Congratulations. Okay, so... So, um, so we're there, it's cool, it's fine, and, but we normally go to the grocery store on Saturday, but I don't know how your house is, but like just because you go to the store on Saturday, you run out of food on like Wednesday, right? And so there's not a ton of food in the house. Andrea usually does the grocery shopping, whatever it is. So the kids, like for like two days, are like, hey, Dad, um, what are we going to have for lunch? What are we going to have for breakfast? What are we going to have for dinner? And you know how it is. It's like, I mean, I don't know, go find something, you know? Well, Dad, there's nothing here. And then you turn into your parents. Oh, there's nothing there. Let's go look, you know. And you're pulling out stuff that's been in there like eight years, you know. Like, what about this? You're not eating it. And so anyway, this is good. I'm just working some things out. So, um, and so last night, like the only thing left, because we hadn't been in the grocery store, the only thing left was like breakfast items. So I'm like, okay, we're cooking breakfast for dinner, which is fun. All right. So I start cooking, you know, eggs, bacon, some toast. But Andrea's upstairs, like, napping or watching a Lifetime movie. I don't know. And so I'm cooking very loudly. Anybody ever done that? I mean, I'm banging pans. I'm slamming cabinets. I just want her to know I'm cooking, okay? <laughs> and the kids are trying to help, but they're making a mess. And, you know, you just keep looking over your shoulder like, is she coming down yet, you know? Or you don't ask her to come down. You just want her to hear that you're working. And so, so she finally comes down, and she comes over to the kitchen where I'm working, and she says, hey, uh, how, can, how can I help? Hey, how can I help? 
oblivious to some of the emotions I'm feeling at the moment. She says, hey, how could I help? Now, a great Christian pastor husband right there would probably be like, thank you so much for offering. You can handle the eggs, right? But she says to me, she says, how can I help? And I said, I mean, you know what you could do to help? Like, get some food in the house. I mean, the kids have been asking, and I'm over here cooking, and there's not really anything in the house, and they just keep asking and asking and asking and asking, and I don't have anything to tell them because we don't have any food, and if you could just go to the grocery store, that would be what could help me. And I mean, it's just like coming out, and I don't... And she's looking at me like, I'm so, I had no idea. And it took me about 30 seconds, and I'm like, okay, sorry, let's back up. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I've just been really frustrated lately because you've been busy, and then the kids have been asking, and then it's, and I'm like, I, I, that was unfair of me. You had no idea that I was feeling that. You had no idea. I hadn't communicated. I didn't ask you to come down here and help me. And so it was, it was something that was happening. But, and I know that you're like, oh, that's so cute that that's your big struggle. No, that's not our big struggle. That was just yesterday, okay? And so we all have these expectations that we maybe don't communicate. It could be as small as loading the dishwasher instead of putting a dish in the sink. It could be as big as uh, where we go on vacation or what do we do with money when we get it or how much time do we spend at your family or it, these are big things. And one of the things that we found in our, in our house is that it's not just telling you what I expect you to do, it's telling you why I have that expectation. So it's like, it's not that the sink is in the dish, it's that when you put the sink in the dish instead of the dishwasher, it makes me feel like you expect me to do all the work and you don't want to help. Oh, well, okay, well, I'll put the dish in the dishwasher, like, if that's what it's about. So we could talk about this, this could be a sermon in itself, we've done this before, but it's very important that in dealing with truth, and not, you know, living with anger, I've got to communicate expectations. Secondly, I've got to communicate frustration. I've got to communicate frustration. And so this goes a little bit with what we just talked about in one, but I've got to communicate frustration because if I don't, if I don't communicate my frustration, then I hold it inside and then I let anger begin to control me. If you are in a family, you will be frustrated. Can I say that again? If you are in a family, you will have frustration doesn't make you wrong or bad. Matter of fact, if you're never frustrated, you probably have no passion. It's probably a bigger problem, okay? So you will be frustrated. And one of the things that we've tried to do at our house, and by no means are we perfect, but one of the things we've tried to do is we give each other permission, specifically talking about marriage, we give each other permission to be frustrated and to talk about that frustration. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean I want a divorce. It doesn't mean this isn't going to work out. It just means I'm frustrated. Hey, there's no gas in your car, and I've filled it up the last three times I've got in here. I'm frustrated about that. I'm sorry about that. I'll, I'll try to do better. Hey, I'm frustrated. I feel like I've changed all the diapers. I've used that example a lot lately. That's a real one. Um, I'm... <laughs> I'm frustrated that I feel like that you're spending all the money, but then you tell me we have no money. I'm frustrated that we're always at your parents' house for lunch. I'm frustrated that, frustrated, 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 frustrated. Doesn't mean that we need to have a big fight. It just means that I'm frustrated. And this is how I'm not letting anger control me because we get to talk about this. It's okay. I'm upset because, fill in the blank, let me know. I love you. I say I love you. I want to resolve this. I don't want you walking around with this. I am upset because blank. And then if you want to add on to it, I need you to blank. Here's how you can resolve this. And on the flip side of that, by the way, how I react when they talk to me determines if they're going to want to talk to me in the future. 
So if every time they come to me and say, hey, I'm really frustrated, da 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 and I'm like, well, that's stupid, then they're not gonna come to me. If they come to me and say, well, I'm really frustrated, I say, well, I mean, that's your fault. If you do something about it, you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. They're not gonna wanna come to me with their frustrations. But if I am a safe place for you to tell me why you're frustrated, even if I'm the reason you're frustrated, and most of the time I'm the reason, then we can work this out, and we're not gonna have World War III. We're just gonna talk about it all along the way, sometimes multiple times a day. You get to be frustrated. You feel how you feel. And so we're going to talk about those things along the way. And Andrew and I have talked a ton about this, but this is something we passionately, we passionately believe in this. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. And when we know for us, that's a key word. If someone says, hey, I need to talk to you for a second, I'm frustrated. Stop what you're doing, put your phone down, turn the TV off, whatever it is, and give them 30 seconds, 60 seconds of undivided attention. Because if they could just tell you, it'll be over. And then we can resolve it, right? And then lastly, we want to communicate appreciation. We communicate expectation. We communicate frustration. We communicate appreciation. This is important because if all you ever do is tell your family what you want and that you're mad, (laughs) that's not going to go great, right? There has to be some communication of appreciation. I'm thankful for you. I'm grateful for you. I'm lucky to have you. Thank you for working so hard to provide for our family. Thank you for hearing me out when I was really temperamental and emotional. Thank you for running to the store to get that because that was really annoying and I appreciate you doing those types of things. Appreciating your children. How often do you tell your kids like thank you for them doing something, right? And so it's, if, if, of all the three things to communicate, I, I want you to do all three. But even if you never got to do expectation and frustration, if you just became a person who communicated appreciation, things would begin to change. I mean, if you start talking to the people in your house like, I am so grateful that God allowed me to marry a man as sexy and as hardworking. <laughs> your, your man's going to start walking around the house like, <laughs> Right? He's going to pick up that trash bag and just do a couple curls with it, you know? <laughs> People live up to the level of your words or down to the level of your words. If you keep telling him what a bum he is, he's going to be a bum. Keep telling him how amazing he is, he'll be amazing. And it goes all the way around with kids. But, but if you just begin to communicate appreciation, if you created a home of appreciation, the output in that family would go up. The love in that family, the affection of that family, it would go up because people want to be a part of a team where they feel appreciated. What is appreciated is duplicated, is replicated. So every time you see somebody do something that, that, that is awesome, tell them that was awesome, and they're going to keep doing that, right? They're going to keep doing that. So we communicate expectation, frustration, and appreciation. And so here's my challenge for you today. Let's end with this. If things don't work themselves out, people work things out. If conflict doesn't go away, it has to be resolved. If that's true, then does my family know what I want, what I'm frustrated about, and what I'm thankful for? Do I know what my family wants, what they're frustrated about? Am I living in a world of monologue or dialogue? If families built on Jesus tell the truth, have great attitudes, and don't live with anger, am I telling the truth? having a great attitude and not living with anger? 
These are challenges for us today as we strive to communicate to the people that we love and we care about. Because things don't work themselves out. People work things out. Conflict doesn't go away. Conflict has to be resolved. So what is the courageous conversation that you need to have? And that first conversation may not get you across the finish line, but it'll get you across the starting line, and that's something. That's a courageous conversation you need to have. Now, here's what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be a little different today because as we we're closing out this series, we wanted to make sure to take uh, some devoted time to pray for your family. And so in just a second, I'm going to pray, and our, our music team's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in two more songs. And during those two songs, our prayer volunteers are going to be in the front and around the sides and the back. I mean, room is a little bit of a premium, and so you may have to navigate a little bit. But our kids' teachers are ready, and here's what we would love to do. We would love to pray with your family, all of them, kids and everybody. So it's going to be a little chaotic, but that's okay. And we want to pray about any needs specifically that you're having in your family But then also, we want to pray a prayer of blessing over your family. This isn't magic, but it is biblical. This idea of just praying a blessing for your family, we want to do that. And so during this first song, you got about eight minutes total to pull this off. But you can go check your kids out. They're ready. They'll be ready for you. They know you're coming. Check your kids out. Bring them back in here. And then go to one of our prayer volunteers, and they would love to pray with you. If you're here and you're not married, you don't have kids, we want to pray with you too. If there's something that we could pray about with you, maybe it has something to do with a role you play in a family, or maybe it's just something you're facing in your life. We'd love to pray with you about that too. But let's take these next eight to ten minutes. If we need to go get our families, get our families, come back together, and close out this series by asking God to bless this amazing family that he's given us. Okay, let's pray.